All right, Matt. Firstly, I think we have two issues to deal with right off the bat. Is the, one of them the fact that we are now being represented by avatars? Yeah, it's pretty creepy. So let me explain what happened here. I'm up north. Uh, I've had to find a quiet place in order to do this. By a quiet place, I mean not being overrun by children. And I did find a place, but the internet bandwidth here has been wonky. So I prioritized um, audio instead of visual. And when you turn off your video now, one of the options it gives you is to be replaced by an avatar. We could have just done this as a podcast and just ignored the video, but I think the opportunity to make our own avatars was irresistible. So here we are. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit creepy because it follows your mouth, but it also yeah. follows your head movement, which just I find to be wild. Anyway, I think this is relatively accurate for me as an avatar. I couldn't get my beard color right. And the only t-shirt, like every time I record one of these things, unless it's the dead of winter, I'm just in like one of my bumming around the house t-shirts and the only ones available had distractingly plunging necklines mm. and i know that that would probably help us with a segment of our audience but I, I didn't want to be distracting for the rest fair enough so also if you're hearing in the background the sound of cars moving back and forth that's because um there has been a bit of a break in the smoke and i'm going yeah. to take advantage of it by going outside and um recording this in my beautiful deck now that I your your avatar does a really good job tracking your head i'm whipping mine around and nothing is tracking maybe it's just because you're bald maybe yeah it's if probably like, it's... The, like the video can't record the sides of your head as easily no that's probably exactly what it is it's the explanation for all my problems yeah i want you um, to explain a problem to me uh firstly the other thing i want to point out is that we're late oh it's yeah no that's completely your fault because you've headed off to the cottage like some kind of laurentian elite monster it, not only well yes um not only that but i was really tired this week and i, I don't say that to complain like it's just uh, i think in a weird way i've been out of sync since i came back from london and i really needed a couple of solid nights of sleep but we're getting into the height of like summer social schedule and i haven't been able to do that so i finally did that yesterday but yeah, you know what? I wanted to podcast yesterday and I was just too damn tired. And that like there's I cannot be any more honest with the audience than that. But I now feel incredibly, incredibly up to podcasting. But Jen, just so you know, I don't hear cars. You know what I hear from you? What? Birds. Yeah, lots of birds. It, it was actually very creepy when the smoke rolled in, the bird song really uh fell off. It well, was birds very, are probably very, laying very low. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, but now that it's a little better, and like don't get me wrong, it's not great. But at least now that it's it's, I can sit outside again. Uh, the birds seem to have come back, so that's a relief. Also, one of the this that this uh, podcast thing is actually following my blinks and my eyebrows. Like it can't do a wink, but my when I go eyebrow up, it does that, and it's following my my blinks. That's that's crazy. I don't know why yours is and mine is it like it's tracking my mouth but i'm blinking and winking and everything i don't know it might be a computer setting or something um speaking of your smoke uh, a couple of days ago i guess it was it was wednesday or thursday in toronto 
and this will this is going to only really really make sense for my uh toronto listeners but i think everyone else will get the the, the, the thrust of it i was driving down eglinton avenue i was coming from scarborough the, the the golden mile shopping area and i was going home to leaside which is just a straight shot down eglinton and it was really weird because when i was driving kind of due west so this part of Eglinton Avenue is elevated a bit. There's quite a few hills, which lets you get, um, for a couple of minutes, you can look quite a ways north and south. And to the south, out my driver's side window, because I was heading west, it was a beautiful blue sky, sunshine-filled day. But then as soon as I looked to my right, out the passenger side, it was brown smoke. Hmm. And uh, to give you a perspective of how bad it's been here, I mean, you saw the... Uh the real apocalyptic that one day it really rolled in and it, it it was very it was actually a little bit like um like a really really dark thunderstorm suddenly you know that that summer thunderstorm thing where yep. it, it goes dark as night and except, the color of the air changes but but yeah except it was golden it was like yeah. golden red it was just the most apocalyptic shit ever and like it hasn't been as bad as that first day but it also hasn't really let up like it's it's uh, it's been it's been not hazardous, but it's been very unhealthy or pretty bad ever since then. So today has been really the first day where I feel like there's been a bit of a break, and it's been very it's been really nice because you know I find the the wildfire stuff it gets very claustrophobic, and I don't know how else mm -hmm. to describe it because like you're stuck inside, you really can't go out. You look at the map, you realize it's everywhere you could possibly go, and I just find that there's it gives me a real sense of claustrophobia. Like I can't just go outside and take a breath. I remember when the first lockdowns began, you had that same feeling. You don't do well when you have to stay home. No, I don't. I don't do well when I feel like I'm trapped. Uh, it, it messes with me. It really fucks with my head. Um, could um, when you were I, indoors. Probably why I couldn't live in Toronto anymore, to be honest with you. you know, I, I get that feeling. It's dense. When, when you were indoors in the smoke, could you breathe? Like, did going inside... Was that I, enough? Yeah, I could, but my husband couldn't. My husband has got quite bad asthma, and uh, he has been basically hidden in the basement for the last three days because he describes it as like it's like fire through his lungs. Oh, what about like a, um, a home HEPA filter or something like that? Yeah, well, we've got we've got air purifiers, we've got the whole thing, but it still has the effect of being. It's, it's like the equivalent of he could feel it down to the bottom of his lungs. He could feel like. Uh it was awful so that sounds uh, terrible yeah i'm i'm not as susceptible so i was a little bit less vulnerable but i've also been leaving the house i've been wearing um n95 masks if i leave the house which is your kids cool. been okay kids have, well kids except last night elizabeth got wheezy like she woke up in the middle of the night coughing and she had like that wheeze cough like that creepy wheeze cough so um uh, i let her probably a mistake i let her play outside for about an hour last yes, yesterday she was just in the back yeah. kind of getting all huffed up so i suspect that that was probably too much so i thought i think we're going to try and do a we're going to try to go to the uh swimming pool today try and do something indoor but still kind of summery anyway this is all rambling off that has nothing to do with dispatch i don't know if our audience cares about any of this except for the fact that it's a personal attachment to the smoke situation it's no i mean it is interesting like we will we'll leave it at that but um it was not at the ground level here in Eastern Canada in the way that you guys have been dealing with, but the the sun hasn't looked right in days. Yeah. So we're definitely under it here, but it's higher level here. Uh, tell me about other Alberta problems, though, because I actually want to to put you up on a pedestal here. Well, I always do, but I, I want to especially now, because I don't know if you were going to be too modest 
you wrote a, a couple of months ago, I guess, you wrote a column about um, a standoff between um, the, uh, the, the uh, UCP leader, uh, Daniel Smith, and the CBC. And you had noted that the CBC had made allegations against Smith and you found the allegations broadly credible, but you didn't think the CBC had nailed the story. And then now I'm kind of jumping to the end here. We've had a full report into it. Your explanation of what you thought might have happened seems to have been completely borne out. And the CBC did not nail the story. Well, I think there's let me start from the beginning here, because, yes, that's all true. And uh, I was right, I think. But I will put the caveat in there that it's still possible that more information could emerge, you know, who knows, right? Um, but let's start from the beginning here because it was a pretty crazy week in Alberta politics. And I think that Alberta politics should probably lead our dispatch today as a result of that. We're heading heading into the end. The polls are all over the map. Um, it's still showing a tight race, uh, whether or not the NDP has pulled ahead enough to overcome the comparative inefficiency of their vote is questionable. There are some really interesting poll projections suggesting that they're, they're, they might be efficient enough in the cities to be able to pull this off in a really big way. Just anecdotally, I can tell you that I am in conservative bastion suburbia, Calgary, which is one of those areas which will never in a million years flip, flip to the NDP. But there are not nearly as many blue signs as there ought to be at this point in the race, and there are more NDP signs than one would think. Now, I'm in like Jason Kenney's writing here, right? Like <laughs> the writing that he would win by a thousand percent to one. So the fact that there's a lot of empty houses that did not take signs when they normally would have um, is really interesting. Now that said, there's still more blue signs than 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 orange ones. You know, I'm not expecting this seat to flip, but it, it's it's a weird little indicator to me that that the NDP is making some inroads to the cities. Now, is it going to be enough? I am not taking any bets. It's a really hard map for the NDP to win. But that all aside, the electorate is really volatile, and like the oppo drops keep on coming. This week, the top oppo drops was definitely this uh, UCP candidate um, who <laughs> made some just awful comments about transgender students, basically saying you know, having a transgender student is like having a little bit of feces in your chocolate chip cookie dough kind of thing. Like it's just beyond, I have objections to gender dysphoria treatment and well into the realm of, okay, you're a hateful, you're a hateful bitch. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing else I can say here. Um, that's awful. Uh, but because it's past the candidate cutoff, they can't, the party can't drop her. They, she's got to be on the ballot. They've said that she would sit as an independent but let's be blunt, if this is a close race and it's like 44 or 43, like she's sitting in caucus. That's just what it is. Or she's more or less going to vote with caucus. So there's that. That happened. Um, then there was the debate that happened. There's not a lot to say about the debate. But right before the debate, the ethics commissioner drops this big report that finds a couple of interesting things. Um, when it's very rare that an ethics commissioner will go into that much detail. They started to investigate the allegations that the CBC had made that... Um, Smith and her staff were trying to improperly interfere with the prosecution service to get COVID restrictions lifted. Um, and it's very rare that an ethics commissioner will, will write something that makes literally everybody look bad except Tyler fucking Shandro. Tyler Shandro, 
who right now I believe is still um, challenging something before the law society because he, this is like the dude who, when he was health minister, started to harass doctors during COVID. Like it was just, it's banana crackers. But anyway, the point that they found is that um, firstly, top line, uh, according to the ethics commissioner, Daniel Smith did try to inappropriately interfere with the um, independent administration of justice by kind of uh, not harassing, but like leaning on Shandro to drop charges against Art Pulowski, who's a preacher who had been uh, subject to a bunch of COVID related charges, but also the charge down in Coots where he was trying to encourage and incite the truckers to keep on their border blockade. So she had over, definitely stepped over the line in her dealings with Shandro, um, trying to inappropriately pressure him to sort of just drop it. Uh, that was that. But they also found that the original CBC story that kind of started this all off, which was very distinctly different, the original CBC story um, uh, alleged that someone from the premier's staff was sending emails directly to, to people within the Crown Prosecutor Service, pushing them to drop it. And if you read the entirety of the Ethics Commissioner report, that seems very unlikely. Um, and in fact, people within the Crown Prosecutor Service really pushed back on that allegation. Um, if it were true, you know, that's beyond gray line areas. That That is, there's no circumstance in which a premier or anybody from her office should be directly contacting anybody from the Crown Prosecutor's Office. Everything that they, that she does should be going through the Attorney General. General. So the, it would be an, it would be a very black and white kind of scenario in a way that talking with your attorney general might be a gray area but anyway they did she, she did a pretty thorough investigation of all of that um that was very heavily disputed and if you read through the timeline that she had in her investigation it seems likely that the cbc or the cbc source sort of muddled it a little bit they muddled up um uh, emails that were appropriate that were sent to someone within the crown prosecutor service but weren't over the line or inappropriate in any way and basically they there was just a lot of pushback to this idea that this that the, there was an invalidity to this story so essentially smith spins the shit out of this ethics commissioner report and says oh, the ethics commission report has vindicated me by showing the CBC and the NDP were lying, that they were saying that my my staff were sending all of these um, emails to the prosecutor service when I wasn't, ha ha ha, I'm vindicated, even though the very same ethics commission report found that she absolutely did cross the line in her talking with Tyler Shandro and the attorney, who is the attorney general. Does any of that make sense? Or am I just fucking rambling at this point? No, I think it all makes sense. Um, okay. When I saw Smith's reaction to the report, I like laughed because like that was, I don't know if spin is exactly, I don't think spin covers it. And it wasn't exactly bullshit either, but it was sort of like, you know, like you've been charged with homicide and like, you know, what, like kiting a check and you're acquitted on kite, uh, check kiting, but they nail you for the murder. And like your lawyer puts out a statement saying like, we've always maintained there was no kite, uh, check kiting here. That's kind of what, what jumped out at me, right? Like yeah, Smith's reaction is accurate. Like her version of, that narrow part of this has been substantiated 
but yikes. I mean, <laughs> she's been completely nailed to the wall on everything else. And to your point about the CBC, like, I don't, I don't know what happened there. I haven't talked to any of the sources. I'm several provinces away. But it also, I think my impression was very similar to yours, which was that the CBC had the broad outlines of what was happening right. But when they zoomed in on the details, their details were wrong. So well, if they had stuck with here's like, here's the there's been. They didn't have the broad details of the right. What they what they were completely wrong about was that there was any evidence that Smith or her staff were emailing Crown prosecutors directly. There's no evidence of that. There's literally none. The, the ethics commissioner's now done a thorough investigation, interviewed a bunch of people. They've they've scoured the email servers. There's there's nothing there. There's no evidence of it not being there. And the problem is that it's impossible to prove a negative. So the CBC can always claim, well, there could be something there. We can't you can't disprove that it doesn't exist. You know, but that 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 is an impossible um, uh, that that's not the way we go about things journalistically. And ultimately, they reported on these emails existing, despite the fact that they hadn't seen it. So obviously, a, a second or potentially third hand source heard about these emails, hadn't seen them. And they were like, yeah, we're going to go to that. And like journalistically, no, that's not that's not it. You don't have the story. It's just what it is. And if the, the terrible irony of all of this is if they have just pinned put a pin in it put a pin in that, kept their eyes open, the NDP eventually would have released that terrible Art Pulowski tape, and they would have been able to um, report on that absolutely scot-free, and Smith wouldn't wouldn't now be able to dodge this ethics commissioner report. So, like, they didn't have it. And, and uh, like, bluntly speaking from just a sheer journalistic point of view, you don't put your name to a story or your credibility, your organization's credibility to a story based on a secondhand sources report of an email that you haven't seen or a report of a document you haven't seen. Two reasons. One, your source could be bullshit or your source could just be misinterpreting something, right? Because yeah. unless you, like even a well-intentioned source could just be misinterpreting something. So unless you yourself can put your eyes on the document and confirm for your own status to your own satisfaction that your source's interpretation is correct, it, it's, it's, it's absurd. Like the idea that we could publish damaging reports or damaging allegations based on what an anonymous source says exists in a document. I mean, it's not like I would say, hey, that's never appropriate, but the bar for that would be so high for me. I I I I think that they I think they fucked up. I think they just did. Um but that none of that absolves Smith from fucking up worse. Like everybody here looks bad. Everybody here has been a little bit vindicated and Smith looks the worst for worse out of all of them. Worst out of is all. It, does it matter at all? I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> this is where I find myself, me of the Canada's broken worldview, where we have just been overwhelmed with just a series of failures, whether policy failures or institutional failures, or I would say in this case, political failures, for which there will never be any consequences and no one will actually be held accountable. Okay, so a couple points there. And I would say a lot of people are pretty eager to compare this to the Justin Trudeau SNC Lavalin thing. And in principle, it kind of is similar. But the idea that like Danielle Smith, and I mean, yes, of course, uh, prosecution, prosecutorial independence is a key pillar, Stern. I completely agree with this. And like she deserves to be nailed, have her ass nailed to the wall for it. No question. However, comparing if we're gonna get into the the, the the weeds of that comparison 
Justin Trudeau tried to pressure Jody Wilson-Ribold to get, you know, one of the most corrupt com companies on earth off on highly corrupt shit abroad, right? I mean, a company that we're still that the federal government is still doing business with. Daniel Smith very stupidly tried to get a pastor off some fucking infrastructure charges. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like these the, the scope and scale of this interference. Like the interference should never happen, but the scope and scale of the in, of the interference is fundamentally different. And I think that there are going to be a significant minority, but a significant percentage of Albertans who are sympathetic with art or who do feel that the COVID restrictions went too far and uh, who are sympathetic with Smith's desire to get them off, even if it meant bending the rules. So that's, sorry, there's a plane. Uh, so that's the first thing. I, I think that for maybe 20% of the electorate, they're gonna like actually cheer what she did on, even if it was an ethical breach. Um, there's probably gonna be another 20% of the electorate, plane numbers out of my ass here, but there's probably gonna be another 20% of the ele electorate who supported COVID restrictions think oh my god this is another proof that daniel smith is some kind of anti-vax wig nut and unethical to boot and i think you know the remaining 60 are gonna say yeah this follows a narrative of smith basically fucking up i mean the thing that I, that i that i found reading the ethics commission report is my overwhelming sense yet again that this is just a really amateur group of people running government like, they don't really know where the lines are they don't really know what they're doing and they come across as really um able to talk a good game but they don't actually they don't actually know what their role or what their job is or how to do it in any meaningful way that's that's my takeaway from all of this it's just amateur hour just really really amateurish and i i get that even from the campaign the campaign feels really amateurish um what are going to be the major issues for albertans going to this i mean it is going to be can i trust daniel smith i do think that's going to be one of the ballot questions and i think balanced against that you're going to have a lot of people who look back at sort of the 2014, 15, 16, 17 era, remember that as being a really shitty bust and they're gonna blame the NDP for it, rightly or wrongly, because we, we live in a world in which um, stupidly we, we attribute economic success of a society to the, the government that's in power at the time. So, you know, it's totemistic, it's very Sun King, but that's what we do. And there are a lot of people who think that the NDP policies were fundamentally to blame for the bust of the 2014 oil crash and the consequences that happened therein. Um, I think that that's incorrect. I just don't think that there's any evidence for that. I think that we would have been in just as bad economic shape under a UCP government or a conservative government. But, you know, she kind of wears that that memory in that period of time for a lot of people. So when the UCP runs ads, for example, one of their most effective ads today, I think has been, you know, people who have moved to Alberta or people who have, were hurt during the, that, that crash and saying, you know, I'm really afraid of an NDP government. You know, we've just recovered. We're just doing well now, but that was a really hard time. Or I would move away if the NDP ran or were, were to run again. I think those are those are effective ads because they they get to the the, the heart of people's fears with the quote unquote socialist government. Right. Um, one, one of the th questions I, I have for you here, I have thought for a while that there is a almost anti-intellectual strain taking over uh, modern Canadian conservatism, sort of a real rejection of, well, I mean, of, of what Pierre Polyev might call the gatekeepers, right? Mm -hmm. And you've talked with me a little bit about the the Alberta conservatives right now kind of seeming amateurish. 
is it that or is it just sort of a relatively new group in power after Kenny got tossed? Yeah, that's that. Is that this is the the new group in power? Um, I mean, the weird thing is that Smith and sort of her right hand people aren't amateurs to being in in a legislature. Like they were opposition, but it's a new group of power. It's a bunch of new people who are relatively inexperienced in their roles, and there aren't any Kenny people there left. So there aren't any actual experienced hands. Um, so yeah, it's it's the amateurish amateurishness is what one would expect. Um. And then I think you you run into the Dunning-Kruger problem, right? A lot of these people don't know what they don't know, but they think they're actually much smarter than they actually are. And I'm sorry to be a jerk about it, but I think that's a, a huge part of the issue. You know, Smith is very likable. She, like I said, she talks a great game. She could, I mean, she did very well at the debate for this exact reason. She can, she can throw out facts and figures and she can come across as someone who has a real handle on, on files, on a really wide variety of files. It's when you start to pick a part of the details that a lot of that understanding sort of falls apart. And that's a really hard thing to do. Like, you know, I, I kind of almost am reminded, like, like, this is why I think Sam Harris said this a couple of years ago. He's like, look, I'm not going to go and debate conspiracy theorists. And uh, his answer for this is because if you're a conspiracy theorist, you can go up there and you can talk fast and you can throw a thousand facts at a person and no one can debunk that in real time. Right. If you're a conspiracy theorist, you can just be like, well, shit, what do you think about uh, the, the, the minute recording that happened on flight 93, just 20, 21 minutes prior to the it's it's uh, crashing into the World Trade Center and, and what the pilot said, blah, 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 blah. And you as someone who's trying to. Oh, nothing. And you as someone who's trying to debunk the conspiracy. You know, you'd be like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> what, like, this is an obscure fact that I don't, I don't even what. Like, you'd need yeah, to. Spend and as an soon hour... as you acknowledge that, your your rival just goes, exactly. "Well, this person you're, clearly knows the, nothing. The, knows the nothing. Knows nothing of the facts." Meanwhile, you as the debunker would have to spend an hour and a half to try and find what rabbit hole this fact was even pulled out of, in order to point out that it was nonsense. And like, when you talk to conspiracy theorists, you run against this problem all all the time. And Dana Seth, I'm not saying that she's like 100% conspiracy theorist, but when she she talks about policy issues, it's kind of like that. She'll throw a thousand facts at you about, and she'll come off as very impressive and very knowledgeable. Like she's read her files, she knows it. But if you actually start to pick apart at it a little bit, you're just like, but wait, what about this? What, what about this? What about this? And and that's where it, it you start to realize that a lot of her understanding of some, some of, not all, but some of these files is actually pretty shallow. She just comes off as she just comes off well um but that's the issue right so you know during the debate she came across as as, as, as highly credible i actually think she you know she's a she's a really good technical debater she, she came across as much more polished than i think notley did notley got some great singers in there so i know i think it's probably a wash but anyway how much what 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 is going to be the ballot issue or the ballot question heading into the actual election i think it's going to be do i actually trust this woman do i trust danielle smith versus um do i want the socialists to destroy the economy again i mean i think that's going to be it it's interesting because you and i have spoken a bunch um and this is something i've been hammering in columns or in these podcasts or on my radio show for years justin trudeau is amazing at politics but he struggles at governing 
and you're describing to me using different language, Daniel Smith, as someone who comes across well but doesn't understand her files. We're using different language to describe kind of the same thing, which is potentially, well, we'll see what the the election results are, but we really are seeing this just complete uncoupling between like good old fashioned retail political skills, which Smith and Trudeau both seem to have in spades, and then the ability to actually be an effective executive once in power. Well, and that on that, but I mean, how many, whose wins are going to be buoyed by the fact that we're probably on an economic upswing? Due to no due to no fault or or credit of any policy in government, just due to macroeconomic factors that are kind of beyond our control. I mean, oil's up pretty high, money's coming into the budget. You know, we're actually increasing our royalty dependency. You know, Smith wants to cut taxes, which I think is is um, foolish because I mean I think we've maxed out the competitive advantage of our current low tax rate. Um, and if you cut taxes, and she also wants to put a referendum in place to, um, so future governments will have to pass a referendum in order to uh, raise taxes again. Again, I think that's insane. We know, we've seen what happens in states in the U.S. where that happens, and it's it's a bad news bears because it becomes impossible for governments to increase revenues uh, when they need to. And for you know a, a, a jurisdiction that's highly dependent on resource royalty revenues, that's nuts. Because it means that the second the oil price crashes, we have no choices in terms of how we balance our budget beyond cuts or uh, debt. And we'll go into debt. That's just, that's just what's going to happen. We're dooming ourselves to, to, to um, a debt cycle. So I, I don't know what to say. I, it just, I, I think that these are, these are bad policies that, 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 that are being proposed. I don't think that they're smart, well-thought-out policies. I think they're very much influenced by uh, American Republican sign the taxpayer pledge, um, starve the beast kind of philosophy that, that frankly hasn't worked out well for the right in America, hasn't led to good governance in America, and uh, will absolutely not translate well to Alberta's particular um, economic situation, to say nothing of its political comparison. So anyway, that's that's just kind of where I stand on it. I don't want to overly belabor the Alberta election because at this point I think that I think that I really do think that this is going to be too, like 2012 where the actual electorate doesn't decide what it wants to do until like 48 hours before the the, the, the final votes are cast I think it's going to be I've, one of those I've got two federal stories for you and then we can wrap this up and mm-hmm. um, get back to our day here did you see the Globe and Mail article this week kind of in the, the latest in their steady drumbeat of national security stories about uh, Bill Blair reportedly sitting on yeah. a warning, uh, a warrant request for months. Yep, yep, that was good. So, okay, good. And then Bill Blair denied it. It's like, yeah. Well, let me let me for for listeners and viewers uh, of our bizarre avatars here. Let me basically recap what the Globe story is. And obviously, as always, I encourage people to go to go read the the source stories here. But basically, Michael Chan is a, um, I never remember if he was provincial or federal liberal, but he's a, he's, a, he's a longtime Ontario liberal here in the GTA, and he currently actually holds municipal office in Markham, uh, which is in the 905, just north of Toronto. And he has been, I, I want to say this reasonably and respectfully, uh, but there has been chatter about him and... Uh, possible connections to China going back many years. And I I can't substantiate them, but I acknowledge the fact that this has been talked about. And 
according to the globe that there had been a request by CSIS to do some pretty extraordinary um, investigations into him and stuff that required a judicial warrant. And that warrant went to Bill Blair as as then minister of public safety. And he sat on them for months. And then Jen, as you've already mentioned, excuse me, uh, B- Blair has denied this. He says the Globe's facts are inaccurate. Okay, so <laughs> we'll put that the on the record. The allegations in the Globe are untrue. Yeah, oh. yeah you know what? I, exactly. Like, I feel obligated to mention that Minister Blair has denied this. I feel absolutely no obligation to take the denials seriously. Um, the the facts of this government, when confronted with Globe allegations, I think speak for themselves. One of the things that I just thought was interesting about the story, and this is not a point I, I need to make at length here, even if it's true, like let's completely set aside everything, uh, all of uh, Bill Blair's denials, and without even commenting on the substance of the actual fundamental allegation here, let's just say that there was a warrant, justified or otherwise, and Blair sat on it for months. The incredible thing with this government is I don't know how to interpret that because one possible interpretation, obviously, is that these guys are soft on China. They're weak on national security. They have blind spots when it's someone in their own tent. They didn't want to bring attention to one of their own guys, blah, blah, blah. The other possibility, given everything we've seen from them, is that's just kind of the normal pace of things for these guys right now. That Bill Blair didn't want to do anything without sign off from Katie Telford. (laughs) <laughs> or or wanted to act immediately and the sign off from the PMO took four months. Yeah. It's we're at a point with these guys where like I've tried I have written entire columns about this. You don't actually have to assume malign intention to be completely fucking freaked out about these guys. All you have to do is actually accept that their hearts are totally in the right place and they're terrible at their jobs. Or they're just That's yeah, their best yeah. defense. Yeah. Like yeah. It, so much in recent months. I mean, just, I mean, it's just a couple of uh, weeks ago, right? Like the prime minister is like, well, I gave the best information I could when it came to like what I told Michael Chong about the, uh, the possible threats against his family. And I like, I thought to myself, I can believe the prime minister here it doesn't make him look any better at a certain point. Like the, the defenses this government are offering up, they're not really defenses. They're just different kinds of confessions. <laughs> That's a good line. Um, speaking of the federal government, I mean, so the other thing that popped into my interest here was that uh, uh, apparently uh, Justin Trudeau was in Italy and made a point of lecturing Italy or Italians about some policy or other of theirs. I haven't looked into the details. And of course the Italians are just not having it to a degree that is hysterically funny. Apparently the front page of one of their uh, newspapers was Trudeau in blackface saying essentially in Italian, of course, you know, this, this buffoon <laughs> is going to lecture us. Um, and Maloney is uh, also gave a, a fairly diplomatic response, essentially saying, yeah, Trudeau doesn't know what the fuck he's, the fuck he's talking about. So, I don't know. The reason why I think this is interesting is just anybody who thinks that Canada uh, maintains the moral suasion at this point to be lecturing any of our allies on any of their um, policies, I think is being a bit uh, naive as to Trudeau's actual reputation <laughs> non-domestically. <laughs> oh, uh, I, don't, I don't know anymore 
um like very early in the in the first uh, well in, in the in the trudeau oh bless you in the trudeau majority uh the, the 2015 to 2019 period there you kind of in the in the vogue cover era so to speak yeah. or whatever magazine yeah. he was in there were a lot of liberal supporters who were very much inclined to take um justin trudeau's political profile as uh another another weapon in the arsenal you know what i mean like another arrow in the quiver or however you want to put it yeah unlike you that, don't hear any of that Stephen anymore harper who's who is must be as hated abroad as we hate him domestically meanwhile stephen harper's for whatever flaws you have about him himself or his policy was actually taken pretty seriously domestically and was relatively well or sorry internationally and was relatively well respected Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau has a, a a crew of diehard fans domestically for whom he can do no wrong, and internationally, very clearly isn't taken seriously at all anymore. Like not even a little bit. So the whole Canada is back nonsense just just falls falls flat on its on its on its on its face. It's why the Canada's back quip is so effective, right? One of my uh, good friends who who certainly um, uh, themselves a, a liberal was very smart and told me years ago again way back in that first trudeau term that if you live by the global glamour magazine cover you will eventually die by it because mm-hmm. sooner or later uh, they told me these headlines won't be this and there's nothing the international press loves more than kind of buffoonizing some foreign leader Mm-hmm. Um, we in Toronto had a lot of experience with that. No one in the broader world had any interest at all in Toronto municipal politics, but they sure loved Rob Ford. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously, b- before anyone jumps down my throat, Justin Trudeau is not Rob Ford, and he's not well, on the same trajectory. That's, 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 that's not that's not the allegation we're making. Yeah. We're merely pointing out that every time that this guy goes abroad and tries uh-huh. to pull on the woke sort of uh, scolding shit that he does which he does fairly frequently he makes an ass of himself and no one takes him seriously on this just well i mean also like the the more the more international attention you get on the way up the more they're going to love covering you on the way down 100 percent, yeah like but like, like, this guy just doesn't have the depth or or chops to be a real credit i mean also what was the last he wanted to be the dean one of yeah the dean guys. yeah of the g7 yeah. <laughs> and, everybody and everybody just laughed, laughed. At this like they just laughed like because even though he is now one of the more senior members on the international leader stage um he's he, and I'm, uh, he's not stu- he's actually not a stupid guy but he just doesn't have the sort of philosophical or, or or depth of personality to be taken seriously as a leader globally it just it just doesn't He's, nobody takes that guy seriously he's he's buffooned he's clowned himself too often the woke shit i think is really uh run its course so he's no longer on the side of the the, the the pendulum um and i to be honest i think even a lot of that glamour vogue magazine stuff kind of hurt him because i mean you can't take him that seriously after that it set him on a pretty high pedestal and then reality came yeah. along plus some blackface photos so well, and, and then and then you get you get you know you get people like the, the the japanese prime minister coming to visit us saying yeah we could really use some natural gas and just what, what did he say in response to that or the and also i think it was the german chancellor came and was like yeah your natural gas you know situation that that could be sorted and of course 
Justin Trudeau overseeing a country or a confederation that is essentially that is totally dysfunctional and can't build anything on anything less than a 20 year time frame, if that. I was like, yes, I'm I'm sure that natural gas would be very effective for you. <laughs> he just explained yeah, they asked for natural gas and he said to them, Hey, do you know how a quantum computer works? Yeah, exactly. Um, I could I could totally tell you about quantum computing. So I've got one more federal thing for you here, and then that'll be it for me. Uh, you got anything else on your list? No, that's about it. So I want to actually give credit here to uh, Stephanie Levitz of the Toronto Star, one of the uh, parliamentary reporters there uh, for their uh, Ottawa Bureau. And Stephanie obviously is a, a straight arrow reporter, right? Like she she doesn't do the crazy columnist stuff uh, we can do. She's not an asshole like us. Yeah, she's not a broken, fallen person yeah. like we are uh, here at the line. But she actually made an interesting link, and she did it in a very neutral and newsy way. And this was on my radio show a few days ago, and I've really been thinking about it since. So this week, there was an announcement that there's going to be reformed uh, bail policies. And I, I, I confess, I, I don't have my, any notes in front of me. I don't remember the details offhand. But basically, after a string of incidents where either police officers or just members of the public were killed by people who were out on bail, and after months of criticism by the police and also uh, the conservatives, um, they're, the liberals have kind of gone, yeah, you know, we can't defend this. Like, we can't be the guys being asked, why did this person just get killed by this person who had been arrested for, like, you know, um, illegal possession of a firearm or some a violent offense six weeks ago? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be apparently some kind of tightening of bail restrictions for uh, people with certain firearms charges or certain violent offenses. To me, this makes sense. Like, this is long overdue, and I don't say this in a political way, but I'm I'm actually quite open to the idea that we are incarcerating way too many people, but there are certain people we aren't incarcerating nearly enough, such as violent criminals. Like, this to me is one of those things where we make this a lot harder on ourselves than we have to. We should have very liberal incarceration policies on all nonviolent offenders and very strict uh, incarceration policies on violent offenders. This isn't actually hard to do. It's just it gets all wrapped up in the politics. But what Steph had said, and I thought this was really interesting, I hadn't like. I hadn't thought of it until she put it this way. She said, there's actually been a through line over the last six months or so. And it started in the fall with the uh, liberal gun control amendments. And then it went on to the bail reform. And now it actually seems to be moving on to, and we'll see, like it's too, it's too soon to say for sure, to the idea of kind of safe drug supply and things like that. And what she noted was that these are all public safety issues law and order issues and of the three mentioned so far the liberals have either retreated or at least come to agree with the conservatives on two of them now the liberals on gun control they're still talking a good game and i don't mean to say that they're singing from the same hymnal here but the liberals did fundamentally retreat in a major way from what they proposed in the fall i don't know if they're retreating per se on bail reform but they are certainly coming around to embracing what the conservatives have been asking for or at least some version of it and now i see pierre polyev this week hammering the liberals on uh, their their safe supply uh, drug pro, uh, rules here. 
it just I, I, I don't like I'm not going to predict how this drug things goes, but it suggests to me that if nothing else, the liberals are increasingly attuned to the fact that the public is worried about basic public safety issues and that they are adjusting themselves accordingly. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the next election were a, a crucially run on on crime and order. And that is so the conservative sort issue, right? Um, crime, order, drug policy. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious to me at this point that the the liberals have spent themselves on guns. I don't know how much more abortion rhetoric I can take uh, from the liberals bluntly. I think that if the next election is run on uh, tough on crime, bail reform, getting resources back into the justice system, that kind of stuff. I think that that it will, will go a long way for the conservatives and for Polio. And I think that the liberals know it. I mean, At the very least. Random, how many more random stabbings in a Starbucks or uh, like a transit system? Like, oh, it's going to keep happening for years, though. Like you and I have talked a lot about this. You cannot turn that ship around in a timescale of less than years yeah, and in a yeah. jurisdiction where bill blair sitting on a warrant request for four months is not necessarily nefarious it just might be normal order of things if a normal jurisdiction could maybe begin to turn the ship around in five years for us i'm thinking 10 15 maybe 25 well yeah and the other, the other i mean bluntly i'm kind of afraid to take my son on the t on the 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 sea train now like i'm i'm kind of concerned about that you know i i that shouldn't be right. I should be. I should feel totally comfortable taking my 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 six year old on transit. That's that's ridiculous. So anyway, that is that is not a, a a normal status quo that I think that most Canadians accept or would tolerate. Like I always say, the Liberals are very, very good at politics, and I think they've recognized the danger here. Okay, so we were late on this podcast, but we can get this out. For our actual written dispatch, why don't we do that on Victoria Day Monday here? And what my proposal was, Jen, and tell me how you think about this, I will do a Bill Blair public safety medley for my serious blurbs, but I also want to write a light blurb. It's a long weekend. We're heading into the summer. Do you have anything offbeat, quirky, fun to talk about? No, I'm joyless. I mean, there's a way to do the Italian stuff in a way that's funny. No, I, I just mean actually nice. Like, do you have anything nice to share oh, with the nice. readers? I want nice. All right. I'm, I'm going to challenge you to spend a few hours today thinking of something nice and uplifting you could share. Remember, like, on Canada Day last year, we did recommendations for, like, some good sci-fi stuff people should watch? We canceled. We canceled fireworks here in Calgary, man. Oh, because of the smoke? No, because it's too disturbing for certain communities. Like, it's totally nonsense, left-wing, progressive, fireworks are problematic now shit. Okay. Well, I'm then I'm going to challenge you to reach really deep inside and find something nice to give to our, our wonderful readers. How's that? Well, the good news is that, like, I'm sure that the local community associations will do a giant fuck you about it and just put on huge fireworks. A bunch of fireworks, anyway. Yeah, like, because we're assholes that way, and that's what I love about this city. That is what I love about you guys. Yeah. All right. Well, on that semi-cheerful note, uh, Jen, have a wonderful Victoria Day. Have a great long weekend. All right. Cheers.